My name's Andrew. I'm an elder here at Valley Hope. Uh, and I found out this week that October, we've got a lot of October left, is Pastor Appreciation Month. So we kept Anthony on his toes to see if he'd be appreciated. So we, we decided to pick the last Sunday. No, that was our fault. Um, I came on the session a year ago. I became an elder a year ago. And it has been really eye-opening to see, to have the curtain pulled back and see all the different hats that Anthony wears, the sacrifices that him and Aaron and his family make every week. And we are truly blessed as a church to have someone as devoted as he is that brings conviction and emotion to every decision he has to make, every pastoral concern. It's all done with the utmost care and concern for his people. So as a church, we have decided to give you some things. So one of the things that Anthony's been doing over the last, I guess, two semesters is going up to Pittsburgh to do some advanced education theology master's degree. Is that? Doctorate of Ministry. Uh, And he's been driving up there. So what we're going to do as a church starting now is pay for his flights up there and pay for a rental car and a hotel, which is great. So that's one thing we're going to do. We're also... giving him an envelope full of cash and uh, a $100 gift card to, what's the name, Native Kitchen, and an IOU for free babysitters. So, which that's that's something right there. (laughs) That might be the biggest sacrifice we're making. I'm just kidding. Um, But in all seriousness, there's a tankard out in the back, and I want to encourage you guys to get a pencil and paper and just write a note of encouragement to Anthony you can donate something, but really, I think what he needs is encouragement. Him and Aaron, I'm telling you, they, they make it look easy, and they make it look from this position outward that it's not a big deal, that they're not sacrificing, that they're not barely staying afloat sometimes. <laughs> but I would just r- remind you uh, that as a congregation, we need to take ownership of our pastor and protect him, care for him, pray for him regularly, not just once every October during Pastor Appreciation Month. So, I know we all pray for him. Um, Let me pray for you now, and let me read this first. This is a really beautiful encouragement from Isaiah. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness who announces salvation and says to Zion, the people, your God reigns. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, giving us and sending us your servant, Anthony, and for giving him the spiritual gift of uh, being a preacher. Exegeting the word every week is hard, and and he uh, has committed to being a man of the word, and sharing that with his people. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd be with his family, protect them uh, as they are in a high-profile position in this church. I pray that you'd just protect them from the evil one, encourage them, put a hedge of protection around um, him and his children. I pray that he would continue to um, be a good husband and a good father, and that those would take precedent over precedence over what he's doing here. I pray that and all the things that he is unsure about and um, it's just 
uh, wrestling with or has anxiety uh, in this church or outside that you would just shore up his salvation and his foundation and, and remind him that he is called according to your purpose and he is uh, mandated, as we just heard, to bring the good news to the people of Zion and say that your God reigns, our God reigns. Thank you again for Anthony and Aaron, and I uh, just pray that you'd be with us this morning, help us to be receptive to the word. Amen. Another thing you can do, give him long hugs and three to five seconds of eye contact. Thank you. Um, I, I appreciate, I appreciate all that, um, especially the babysitting. Uh, um, you know, I, beginning of this month, uh, it was seven years. Um, I've made it through seven years. We've made it through seven years together. And, um, and, and honestly, this, this past year has been incredibly difficult for me for reasons I don't understand and some reasons that I, I do understand. Um, and I, it's... I, uh, it's just hard to, to see all the ways that I fall short as a pastor, and I feel like that list is very long. And you know, when I, when I, when I still, I still have this picture in my head of who I feel that we can be as a people. And in a lot of ways, because I'm, I'm in this every day. As soon as I wake up. Um, you know, it's my job to pay more attention to this than anybody else in this room. When I, when I am aware of all the ways that I feel like we're, we're not there or we're not making it, um, that just has, that's just weighs, weighs on me. And it, it hurts me because of how I feel, how much of that is me. And, um, and yet I've had so many people, when I've confessed that to people, the elders, the other elders and people around church, when I confess that, I've had time and again people say, like, you are not alone. And you, we're, we're with you. And this is not, not about you. And um, I would not have made it seven years if it was not for Jesus, of course. But I would not have made it seven years if it wasn't you guys. Because I love you. I, I love this church. And I talk to other pastors. And I know a little bit about what it's like in all of their churches. And I seriously, honestly believe that any one of them would kill to have my job. And... I am incredibly privileged and blessed by that. And I wish that, that my house was big enough and my schedule was big enough that I could have you in my home at my table all the time. 
And the, the thing that uh, annoys me more than anything is I could probably, I can picture each one of you in my mind and just say, I wish I could spend more time with them. Um, I wish I could properly convey that to you regularly, that I appreciate how much you've appreciated me, but I love you. And I think about you. I pray for you. And uh, I'm not trying to get away from you. I mean, sometimes I'm trying to get away from you just because I need some, some silence. But it's only so that I can go back to you because I, I love you. Um, and if there's any way that I can care for you more directly, if there's especially any way that I can be praying for you, please come and tell me because that's, that's what I, I want to do. And um, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy that. So if there's any way that, that I could pray for you and care for you, please, please come see me. Um, one of the things that uh, I've, I talked to our elders about last, last meeting was um, I feel like we need to be praying as, as elders, as a whole church, that God would do something in our church that is bigger than and better than what we could work for and plan for. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I believe we have gifted, talented people here in this church, and I don't think that we always do well to work together or plan things or, or leverage those things together. And I want to do as well as we can at, together to serve God and serve one another but I think we need to be praying that God would do something in our church that's even something we could not plan or work towards. And I believe that that missing ingredient, that, that, that factor that we cannot account for or plan down to the T is the Holy Spirit. That we need the Spirit of God to move in us, in our church as a people, to do more than we are. And I just want to stop for a second and say that that is what this was, is this morning. That they, these, these songs that you heard and the songs that we will, you will hear and sing, these songs have never been heard before, all of them, except that they're psalms that you've all hopefully read at least a time or two in your life, maybe many times. Jason didn't write those psalms. That music, all of that, the past couple of weeks, has just kind of happened to Jason, is maybe a good way to describe it. They just, it just happened to him. And uh, that, to me, is, is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy, like, we, we get kind of separated from that word because we think of the the people with the names of the like Isaiah and Jeremiah. We think of some like old dude with a beard and a staff and there's miracles and stuff. And Okay, but prophecy really is this. The scripture, the word of God being made present and vital in our midst. Spoken or sung with authority and clarity in our context. That is, that is prophetic. And that is the Spirit of God that only does that. And that's actually New Testament Christianity. 
you know, Paul explicitly says one thing that you should do together is to sing songs and spiritual songs, the connotation being they're songs that the Spirit brought forth in a new way. So I don't want to just kind of skate by what Jason did and say that's a, maybe a weird thing you think that Jason did. But let me, Jason could not get out from this. He told me I tried 11 times to just tell God, you know, it'd be a lot easier if I just sung a couple of hymns and, and choruses. And he said he couldn't, couldn't get away from this. And what I'm suggesting to you as your pastor is that this is what we are praying for. For you in your life, I don't know, you're maybe not going to write songs. I mean, I am not writing songs, okay? That's not, you don't want that from me, at least not the music part. But you have instruments and gifts within you and in your hands that the Spirit of God can animate and bring life to and bring something new and fresh to that is bigger than your own gifts that you would naturally identify within yourself. And we want to we pray for that to happen and invite God to do that because we are supposed to be marked as a people by the living and breathing Spirit of God who is uniting us together and drawing us to Jesus in real and unexpected uncomfortable but powerful ways. As your pastor, that is what I'm praying for you a lot right now. And I would, I would invite you to pray for the same. We are going to go into a, a time of prayer right now. Um, we, we've been making space for this in our service for for quite some time now, and we had some things planned for how we were going to do that this week, but um, it was a ter- terrible week this week. Um, you know, there, in, in Pittsburgh, where I, I've been going to school, there's this shooting yesterday. Somebody walked into a synagogue and shot up this gathered people. Um, and, and, uh, and you may have missed it, but earlier in the week, a man tried to walk into an African-American church, couldn't get in, and then just found two black people to shoot and kill in Kentucky. And of course, you had this crazy person mailing bombs or fake bombs or whatever, some combination of bombs and poorly constructed bombs to people. That's all this week. Um, there is just something violent and wicked going on right now. And there is a kind of uh, violence in our speech, in our hearts, that most people just kind of endure. Like you just maybe even unfortunately get used to it. And even more unfortunately, maybe some of us adopt that kind of, kind of speech and thinking. And that's how normal people are, are experiencing that. But there are people, fragile people, sick people, people who 
are already dabbling in other kinds of this evil, who under the weight of that pressure of violence and wickedness fracture and fully engage in that spirit of violence and take up weapons and murder people and terrorize people. And unfortunately, you can also find people who stand on the sidelines and cheer them on. And I have no idea what to do. I think the temptation is to get used to it and to ignore it as much as possible. And I would say that, that is wrong in itself, a form of evil acting on us. So I want us to pray. I want us to pray for us to have soft hearts, to allow our hearts to keep being broken. I want us to pray that we ourselves would be a peacemaking people. That is a mark of the people of God, that we would be peacemakers, which is not just an absence of violence, but a restoration and institution of the shalom of God, the wholeness of the way things were meant to be. We're meant to be carriers of that peace. We want to pray as well that God would stop the evildoer, protect the innocent and the weak, to do some miracle to keep those who are fragile away from the oppressive weight of this kind of evil so there might not be further fracturing. I'm going to read Psalm 140. Right? I think it's going to be on the screen. You can close your eyes and listen. You can open your eyes and read. Whatever you choose. When this is over, I'm just going to leave silence. And I want you to just pray silently. Maybe you need to pray prayers of lament. Maybe you need to pray prayers of repentance. Maybe you need to pray prayers that are in this psalm. Let this psalm kind of coach you. Whatever it is, though, pray silently before God who stands before you. Ask Him to make us the people that we ought to be, that our world might be healed. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongues sharp as a serpent's, and under the, their lips is the venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net. Besides the way, they have set snares for me.
I say to the Lord, you are my God. Give ears to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. You have told us that your name will be called Prince of Peace. Oh God, bring us peace. Father, we are a people in this land, in the world. 
who again and again reach for the way of violence. That those who are not like us, who stand opposed to us, might be crushed for the sake of our own victory. And you stand in our midst as a king, as a prince of peace. who was crushed for us. Instead of crushing us to bring your peace. God, we we lament to you that the world was not made to be this way. This world that you made. And yet this is what we see before our eyes. And we ask with the psalmist, how long, O Lord? How long? How long, O Lord? How long will the wicked flourish? How long will violence be normal? How long will weeping be common in the streets? Father, we ask that you would comfort those who mourn. And we also ask, God, that you would make us to mourn with them. God, we ask that you would bring close your peace. to those who've suffered violence. We ask, God, that these communities would, in maybe ways that we will never know, be able to testify of the surprising, redemptive power of Jesus that does not erase the darkness that has happened, but has instead brought forth life out of it. We pray, God, that you would expose, undermine, unwind, and destroy the plots, the schemes of evil men and women. That their hatred would be brought into the light of day and that justice will come upon them. We pray for all of those who are, as the psalmist name, who are afflicted. That you will execute justice for the needy. And God, we pray that you would help us to be a people who are like you. Who participate in the work of the kingdom with you. We ask, God, that you would help us to be a place and a people of peace that we would speak healing and extend it to every corner of this valley. Pray that we would extend the peace of Jesus to those who are isolated and lonely and angry. We pray that we will extend the peace of Jesus to those who are not like us. 
pray, God, that we would be a people who take great comfort and confidence in the shelter of your wings. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will both protect us and that you will send us. Help us to be a people who provide antidote to what ails. We need you, Lord Jesus, in the church to continue to sustain us, keep our hearts soft. And we need you, Lord Jesus, to move in our culture. Let your light shine upon the darkness and cast the darkness out, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would do this, God, to the clear praise of your name and to the good of your people. Amen. going to preach very fast. Is my watch right? Hold on to your seats. <clears throat> this is James 4, part of it. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder you cover and cannot you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with god therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? These are the last two verses of the book. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover multitude of sins. This passage from the book of James is... Um, <clears throat> very close to the themes that we just prayed about. Because James here is identifying this way of being in the world that fills people with envy and bitterness and contempt. He says even the spirit of murder is inside of you when you are like this. And this same spirit inspires you and encourages you and gives you confidence to stand as judge over people who also bear the name of Jesus. 
James has been sharp in his language until now, and here he is just even sharper. He'll, instead of address the believers in this letter as beloved brethren as he normally does, he will call them adulteresses. He'll say to them that they are unfaithful because of this issue. And what James is ultimately doing is pinpointing this unbelief inside of them. That the people he is concerned with are consumed with envy, looking at others around them and asking God why they may not have what this person has. And really, the sense is that the people who are praying this way and acting this way, they are already the blessed, they are already the wealthy ones, and they are, are coveting more for themselves. There is a hunger inside of them for more and more and more. And this leads them to look around them with disgust at everybody around them and say, they should not have more. I should have more. They're consumed by envy. One of the commentators that that I was reading quotes another commenter named Luke Johnson. Why are they like this? He says, it derives from the premise that being depend." Uh, that being depends on having, that identity and worth derive from what is possessed. And such a view, to have less is to be less, less worthy, real, or important. To have more is to be more. Fundamental to envy also is the conviction that humans exist in a closed system, a finite world of limited resources. There's only so much to go around. The world is a zero-sum game. In other words, if you have something I cannot have, the logic of envy moves towards competition for scarce resources. Ben Witherington goes on and says, these assumptions are fundamentally at odds with a belief in an all-powerful, omnibenevolent, or all-good God who answers prayers, particularly when His creatures are in genuine need. The logic of envy says that if you have something, I cannot have it, which is in itself a declaration that God actually is not generous or good or able to provide you for what you need. It is an assumption that you must have what the other person has in order to be in flourishing. And so the people in James's day are consumed by this ethic and they are tearing one another apart and putting spiritual language to it and praying in order to advance their own cause, not actually praying and asking that God might do what He wants to do. And James calls them adulterers. He says, you are, you are experiencing intimate friendship with the world. And what he doesn't mean there is that you can't have friends who are not Christians. That's not what he's saying. We know that Jesus himself was called a friend of sinners. What he's saying here is the way the world operates, the logic of the world, you are becoming more intimate with that than you are with God. This logic of envy is the logic of the world that God cannot possibly be speaking into the way the world is, providing for you, giving you what you need, and telling you that you don't know what you need. That's the way the world operates. But James is saying God is not that way. 
God is involved in the world. And He does know what is best for you. And He has more than enough to take care of you. And if you would just ask Him, if you would just be submitted to Him, if you would be humble before Him, which entails recognizing who you are and who God is, God will be gracious to you. He has good for you. And when you put yourself in the position of rightly recognizing who you are and who God really is, the devil flees from you. That evil power oppressing you and telling you to crave more and to resent others because they have what you want. That thing that comes after you and whispers in the night and in the darkest moments of your life, that thing flees from you because you are submitted to God. You are right positioned before God and He is being gracious to you. You cannot judge your brother and your sister if you recognize who God is. And this is, this is difficult. This is difficult for me because I have appointed myself the right and true judge of all the world. I have appointed myself the true judge which is a misunderstanding of who I am. And James says, you cannot be the one who judges the whole world. The law tells you, the law that he's referencing, is love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying, if you think that you can stand in judgment over your brother or your sister you are in effect putting yourself in the position of lawgiver. And you undermine the law. But you must love your neighbor as yourself. And would you want another to stand in judgment over you? Now James does not mean that Christians cannot have conversations about what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is false. Just read the book of James. It's very clear he does not believe that. But what I often do is I go from there, from that legitimate conversation, and jump to, I now understand who you are and I'm judging who you are and condemning you because you believe the wrong thing. I lose track of who I am before God and move right in to the position of judge. Let me offer a verdict on you because you are wrong about this thing or that thing. And that is not my job, though I crave it daily. These last words of the book of James, what he says is, Bring back people who wander. You are blessed. It is to your benefit. If you would, instead of condemning the wanderer, shoving them aside, shoving them off into the darkness, it is to your benefit. If you would circle an arm around them and bring them back. Because this is the way that God is. Our world is tied up and immersed and soaked in this spirit. 
This distrust of a God who is active and engaged with the world. This distrust that there is a God who actually has enough to care for you and to rightly judge other people. It leads us to be tight-fisted instead of open-handed. It, it makes us feel compelled to draw hard lines and cast out into darkness any of those who wander or step aside in this area or that area. And that is pride. That is self-obsession. That is a version, a vision of ourselves that is far too high and exalted. James is not inviting us to cast aside our moral compass and say that all opinions of the world are equal and valid. What he, is, what he is giving you permission to do, what he is relieving us of the duty, is you are able to say, that person has what I do not. Money, relationship, status, knowledge, respect, any of those things, that person has what I do not have. And I don't have to worry about it. Because God is my Father. And He is good to me. And He will take care of me. And if I am brokenhearted and discontent, I can just go to Him and trust Him. I can be submitted to Him and humbled. And He will chase that darkness away from me with His superabundant generosity. I can look at the world and I can see all kinds of people, a lot of whom who bear the name of Jesus, who I think are really wrong about big things and small things. And it relieves me of the burden of having to police everyone and determine whether or not they're on the right side of the fence on every single issue. I'm, a, I'm free to say, I'm pretty sure this is what God says. God can deal with that person. God can handle that person. I have a pretty big mouth. I feel the need to tell everyone what is right all the time. And that is exhausting. It is exhausting to constantly feel like you have to be the Holy Spirit of God for the whole world all the time. And I am just not good at that job. It is a relief, actually, to just give that over to Jesus and to say, He can handle that person. What I want to do is be an arm around their shoulder and walk with them and walk them back towards the path they may have wandered from. And honestly, that's what I hope people's disposition is towards me. I want to love my neighbor that way because I want my neighbor to love me that way. The, the cross is here this morning to remind you that God is the most generous God. 
that God in Jesus has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. And if you are here this morning and you are just bereft at what you do not have, you are, you are terrified at what you do not have, and you can feel envy seeping into the groundwater of your life where you're constantly looking at others and you are resentful and you are bitter because they have what you do not have. The cross is here constantly to remind you that God is supremely generous to you and you can trust him. You can trust him to give you everything that you need and some of the things that you want that are really, really good, you don't have to stop praying for them. You can just bring them to this God who is generous with you like this and you can trust Jesus to be enough for you. You don't have to measure that by where anybody else is. You can just look at Jesus. He is enough for you. Jesus is always enough. No matter what your desire you're going to run into, the trouble that you're going to run into, no matter what you do not have right now, if you are still in a place of discontent, I am not telling you to confess the name of Jesus and then you'll have everything that you want. I am saying to you that you, in your difficult station of life, can look at Jesus crucified for you and you can see that God will be faithful to you. God will sustain sustain you. He will, with every intention of the divine heart, give you all the good gifts that you need. Though you may not have them right now, and your desires may change later, God will himself not change. Jesus is the profession of God's faithfulness and generosity to his people. And the cross stands in front of you to remind you today that God is himself the final judge. God takes upon himself the burden of all judgment. God will judge all wickedness and untruth. And that is not your job. It is not my job. And the even better news than that is that if you would come and see Jesus, you would see the full and final pronouncement of God's judgment. When Jesus walks out of the tomb, the pronouncement of God's judgment for you and for me and all who put their trust in him is not guilty. Not guilty. Be you a heretic or a wanderer. If you have blasphemed God, forgotten Him, you have been wrong in a thousand ways a thousand times over. The God who is judge was crucified for you that a judgment of not guilty might be delivered to you. That means you are invited forever to be very small before him. To be humbled before God. And to rejoice in his graciousness. He is jealous for you. That's the word that James says. He is jealous for your spirit today. 
And he does not want you to worry about whether he is a good enough giver or a good good enough judge. He is. He's enough. And he's here for you. Be free of the burden of other people. And let Jesus be enough because he has more than enough for all who come and see him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your generosity towards us, your care for us. God, we confess to you that we have been self-seeking in our prayers. We have distrusted you that if somebody else has what I don't have, it must mean that I never can have that and, and that I need to take what they have so that I can be better, I can be more. But you are not like that. You have generosity upon generosity. God, help us. Free us from the system of the world, the system of envy and hatred of others. And God, help us to get out of that place of of needing to feel like we can be judge and jury over all those around us. We have to feel like it's not enough to just say this thing or that thing or this belief or that belief is wrong. We must then cast aside all of those people who do those things or believe those things and just hope that no one ever treats us that way that we treated other people. Forgive us, God, for stepping into the judge's seat. You are more than enough. You are giver enough. You are judge enough. You are gracious enough. You are good enough. You are kind enough. You are generous enough. Jesus, you are enough for us. That is our confession, God. We ask that you would make that confession true in us more and more all the days of our life. Do it in us, Lord Jesus. By the power of your Holy Spirit, amen.